right. Well, let's dive in, and I'll dive in with some real mundane stuff here. Uh, Tuesday was our first annual staff storage day. It's been 10 years or so, so we figured it was a good idea to have a, have a staff storage day where we go and declutter some of our storage areas. Um, and one of the things that we came across in our storage unit is Bob. We, we have a lot of new faces here, so there's a, that many of you have not been introduced yet to Bob. I wanted to give you a little um, introduction to him. We won't say much about him, but a little introduction because he's going to come next week and he's going to help us introduce our new series. We have a brand new series that's starting next week. It's called Stretched. And we are excited. I was talking to Jason, talking to Brandon. We were doing some brainstorming, filling up a flip chart. I think God's got some really important things to say. Any of you feeling stretched? All right. Well, what I'm really excited about with this series is we're not going to just kind of give you the stuff you can find on um, self-help books. I think the Holy Spirit was at work in that little session that we had. And he's got some really important things to say to us about what do we do in our lives? We feel so pulled in so many directions, not enough time, not enough money, all these things. What would God say to us about that? So Bob's going to help us with with that. And at the end of today, he's actually going to help too. Um, We've been digging into the book of Joshua for the last five weeks. And at the end of Joshua, we're going to read a passage that comes at the end of Joshua. And there's this thing called a witness stone. And so Bob's going to serve as our witness stone. It'll make more sense in about 34 minutes if I talk fast. All right. So um, here, here, here we go. Joshua, uh, Joshua was an amazing leader. In fact, as we've been digging into the book of Joshua, we spent last week on that, looking at what an example he was and, and the, the leadership model that he set where there's so much to it. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take a, uh, a play right out of Joshua's playbook. When he got to the end of his term, um, and he was 110 years old, what he did before stepping down is he said, let's look at where we've been. And then he gave the people a challenge. And that's what we're going to do today. And then Bob will be our witness to all of that. So um, let's look back. If you uh, were here or if you weren't, here's a quick summary of where we've been over the last five weeks, starting with week one. Here we go. The first week, we called it Joshua. And we saw as the book of Joshua opened that God instructed Joshua to be what? Strong and courageous because he was entering into this time of war. So God said, be strong and courageous. And as we dug into that, we see that Jesus himself testified that this wasn't just a unique season. There will always be wars and rumors of wars. And so every generation is going to have to wrestle with that question. What does it mean to be strong and courageous in light of the challenges and the battles that we face? Also in week one, we found that there's not a one-size-fits-all response to every battle that we face. In fact, in the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus did not come as a crusader. And when he returns, it's not going to be as a pacifist. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus in any given situation, which may look different? All right. The next week, we, t- we called it More Than Conquerors. And we saw that the book of Joshua contains some of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture because it occurs in a time of war. And one of the important points we made is you've got to look at Joshua in context. It is descriptive, not prescriptive. Meaning this is not how you are to respond through all ages, all times, in every uh, conflict. We saw specifically that the Canaanites were not the kind of neighbors that a good father could allow living next to his kids, and that the land wasn't the Canaanites' land. It wasn't the Israelites' land. Whose land was it? It was God's. And he had specific plans for that land. He had specific plans for the people he was giving us to. Also in week two, we found that even in passages as problematic as you're going to find in the book of Joshua, they point 
to Jesus. In fact, some of the areas that appear the most dark in all of Scripture point us to the light that we find in Christ. We found that Joshua and Jesus share the same Hebrew name, which means what? The Lord saves. And, and we, 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 not using these words, I wish I would have had these words then, but we really were differentiating between a crusader and a cross-bearer. We're called to be a cross-bearer, which means we're called to be more than conquerors, more than conquerors in Christ. Week three, we called it sin in the camp, and we looked at Joshua chapter seven, which is a portion of the Bible that a lot of us would rather not look at because it is really, really a challenging passage. But we discovered that if you neglect those passages, you can actually misrepresent God if you try to avoid passages that are uncomfortable. We saw through that passage and others that we looked at that Scripture paints a consistent portrait of sin from cover to cover and that the God of the Bible is faithful and just when he forgives the sins of those who repent. Week four, Jason rocked it. He rocked it. We called it uncivil war. And we saw how the chapters leading up to chapter 22, which which Jason taught on, they detail God's faithfulness. And what should have been a time of peace, what should have been a time of peace, almost erupted in civil war among the people of God over a misunderstanding. Now, this is a quote I got from, um, from uh, Max Lucado. He said, when fishermen don't fish, they fight. Isn't that true? When fishermen don't fish, they fight. And God calls us to unity. And then last week, We talked about leadership lessons. The book of Joshua is filled with exceptional leadership lessons. And then we saw how Jesus did and does things that no other leader can do without his help. We saw that Jesus' amazing life was accompanied by an amazing grace, which we just sang about. And then we put out that challenge. Are you inviting others to follow you as you follow Christ? Why did it take us five weeks to get through that? I just did it in a couple minutes, right? All right, well, that brings us then all the way to Joshua 24, the last chapter in Joshua. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Joshua chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today and actually every week. We keep stacks of them there at the table. They're there for you. Please take a copy, absolutely free, uh, uh, home with you today. All right, Joshua chapter 24. So after reminding the people where they'd been, Joshua gives this challenge. These are probably the most famous words that you're going to find in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, starting with verse 14. Joshua, after again, saying where they've been, reminding them of the lessons learned, Joshua offers this challenge. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua tells the people, you got a choice. This is what God has done. You've seen it. You've got a choice to make. And I've already made mine. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Now, throughout this series, we've been contrasting at different times the Christian faith and the Islamic faith. And a devout Muslim, may I present to you, would say the same thing that we're saying here. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. 
You cannot serve the God of Muhammad and the God of Joshua. You have to make a choice. Who will you serve? Here's a quote from a book. Um, I don't know if I've quoted from this book yet. It's called Answering Jihad. The author says this. He says, was Islam spread by the sword? The short answer, technically no. But indirectly, yes. The world was to be seen as divided into two sections. One, including those lands that were part of the Islamic empire, and one that included everywhere else. The former is called the house of Islam. The latter is called the house of what? Of war. Interesting, even is for me in my house will serve the Lord. The language is even similar here. You've got to make a choice. Which route are you going to take? Choose you this day who you would serve. A devout Muslim would draw a line in the sand too. You cannot serve the God of Muhammad and the God of Joshua. Well, I'm in the process of reading through the Quran. I've never read through it before, and I'm only a couple hundred pages in, and it is so clear, so clear that these are two very, very different religions or faiths or worldviews, however you want to frame them. For example, I've always been told that Christians and Jews and um, Muslims all can trace their roots back to Abraham. And I knew that was true of Jews. I knew it was true of Christians, but I'd only been told it was true of, of Muslims. Well, I was reading through the Quran. I came across this in 367. Also throw in verse 85, no extra charge. It says this in the Quran. Abraham was not a Jew or a Christian. He was a Muslim. Whoever seeks a religion other than Islam, it will not be accepted from him. And in the hereafter, he will be one of the losers. So again, we're presented with a choice. Do you choose this way or choose that way? Just yesterday I was reading in the Quran and I came across a section that said Jesus didn't die on the cross. Is that what the Bible says? No. And, and for those of you who are Christians, and we were singing this amazing, actually amazing songs, imagine a f- our faith without Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Paul comes out and says, if that's the case, it's all in vain. If it is not true that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, go do something else because it's not worth it. They're very, very different in what they say, in what they do, in what they teach. So, what does a response to Joshua's challenge look like in real life? Well, that's going to be the subject of our next series. But today, as best I can, let me summarize it like this. If we are going to serve the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness, what does that require? There's a place to write this in your notes. I'd encourage you to pull out your green sheet and uh, follow along and, and perhaps even write down a thing or two, including this. Serving the Lord requires wielding and yielding. And that involves wielding both the Old and the New Testaments. Now, I'd encourage you to circle the word require in your notes because we're going to come back to that word in a little bit. But right now, I want to focus on this idea of of wielding and wielding both the Old and New Testaments. If you're going to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness, you've got to wield both the Old and the New Testaments. And I love that word, wield. It implies that we're doing more than just reading the Scripture. Wielding requires us to engage the Scriptures as the living Word of God. Wielding requires us to align our thoughts and our actions with what God reveals. And wielding requires us to proclaim God's truth then to the world. And it's important that we wield both the old and the new. Can I get an amen on that? both the old and the new. 
just a couple of days ago, I came across this verse. I, was, I actually read the Bible too, just in case you're wondering. Um, and I was reading the Bible uh, this week, and I came across this passage from Second Peter. If you're not familiar with the Bible, this is the Peter that was the disciple of Peter. He writes this in a letter. He says, I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what the Lord, our Savior, commanded through your apostles. Peter's saying, remember what the prophets wrote and look at what God is saying through the apostles. It's both of these. And it's my hope that our journey into Joshua, as, as brief as it was, was a great reminder that the Old Testament scriptures have so much to say. So much to say and teach us. All right. As important as the scriptures are, how many of you know that the word of God isn't limited to the written word of God? Right? Amen. The word of God is not limited to the written word of God. Is the Bible the word of God? Yes. And it's not limited to that. Why do I say that? Well, one of the reasons is because Jesus was the word. He was the word made flesh. And did you know that's in the Quran? Not fully developed as it is in the, in the scriptures, but take a look at this. I came across this in 3, 45 and 46. This is direct well, from the English translation and English translation. When the angel said, O Mary, surely Allah gives good news with a word from him whose name is the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, worthy of regard in this world and in the hereafter. And those who are drawn nigh to Allah and he will speak to the people and he will be one of the good ones. I'm glad they think Jesus is one of the good ones. Jesus was the word made flesh, and this is huge, huge. If you were here last week, last week I mentioned that Muhammad came after Jesus. And not just after Jesus, more than five centuries after Jesus. Now, it's really hard to date the book of Joshua with precision, but using even a rough estimate, we're talking 15 centuries after Joshua. This is a big, big deal. As I've been reading the Quran, I'm coming across a lot of familiar characters. Noah, Moses, Abraham, Ishmael, Saul, David, Goliath, Zechariah, even John the Baptist. The Quran testifies to Mary and the virgin birth of Jesus. And listen to some of the descriptions of Allah. They sound an awful lot like the Lord. Merciful, wise, all-knowing. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He brings people out of darkness into light. According to Muhammad, there is no God but he. Is there some crossover between the Quran and the Bible? Yes. But the Quran is a very, very, very different book. And I think this timeline plays into that. Muhammad couldn't read or write. But Muslims believe, if I understand this correctly, that, that Allah revealed his truth through the angel Gabriel to Muhammad. And then Muhammad dictated his revelations to scribes. And what he dictated, if you read it in Arabic, is believed to be perfect. Perfect. Keep that in mind. What the scribes wrote down in what we call the Quran is so different than the Bible. The Bible contains lots of narrative. I haven't found any narrative yet in the Quran as I've been reading it. Narrative is history. So in the Bible, we can see Moses and Noah in action and doing these different things. And we can learn from the examples, good and bad. And we see the, the, the story unfolding. 
Also, in the Bible, there's poetry and prophecy and songs and letters and parables and proverbs and commands. And here's the thing. They all testify to an unfolding storyline. An unfolding storyline. One of the things you're going to see if you study the Christian scriptures is what that there's a storyline that begins in Genesis and continues through Revelation. Some refer it as to it as progressive revelation, others as redemptive movement or the trajectory of scripture. And what we're getting at here is that God doesn't change. But the way in which he chooses to interact with people at different stages in history can be seen in this unfolding of his revelation. In the fullness of time, he reveals more about who he is. In the fullness of time, he helps people understand. In the fullness of time, he imparts gifts in a different way. And we see over the the centuries that the scriptures take place, we see this trajectory of of scripture, we see this redemptive movement, we see this progressive revelation. Let me give you an example, and then I'll try to pull these things together. An example of of God helping to correct and and people understand is found in Matthew chapter 5. In fact, the whole chapter is very interesting, because this is now Jesus, hundreds of years after Joshua, and he's saying, you've heard it said, but now I tell you. And sometimes what he's doing in those passages is helping people see the richness and and a greater understanding of what God meant when he said what he said back in the day. But there's also ones like this, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 44, where it says, Jesus says, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is a little bit different than some of the others You've heard it said, I tell you, because I don't know of a place in the Bible in the Old Testament where it says, hate your enemy. I don't know of a spot. And so apparently what Jesus might have been doing here is to say, some of you have misconceptions about what I said and what God revealed. Let me set the record straight. Okay? So so this trajectory helps people get more of an understanding of the fullness of what God's doing. And here's a concrete example of some, some women that were applying this idea of trying to love their enemies. Um, in the aftermath of 9-11, as you can imagine, in New York City, there was a lot of tension and a lot of hostility directed towards Muslims. So do you know what some Christian women did? They said, we want to live out this faith. We want to put into practice. You know, we know what was stated about war in the in the Old Testament, we also know what Jesus said about loving our enemies. So we're going to try to try to try to love people, love our neighbors. And so this group of Christian women decided that let's help in practical ways. And so they would walk with Muslim women to the store. They would surround them and walk with them. And then while they're at the store, they were there at their side, and then they would walk them home. What a beautiful thing! What a practical way to live out these teachings of Jesus. That's the trajectory of Scripture. We're moving towards trying to love our neighbors as ourself. What I've been encountering as I've been reading the Quran is I haven't seen any progressive revelation. I, I haven't seen the redemptive movement. What it feels like to me, and this is me, what it feels like to me is reading the book of Leviticus without having anything that came before it or anything that came after it. And if you're familiar with the book of Leviticus, that would be a real confusing and and hard to understand place to be. Last week in the Quran, I came across a passage, 424, and it's a controversial one. Because 
what it appears to be saying is if you go to war and a woman and, and, and the husbands are killed, here are the circumstances in, in which you can take a woman as a spoil of war. And, and then, then there's no progressive revelation to say, like, that was for that time or whatever. My friends, there is no equivalent of that teaching in the New Testament. If you follow the New Testament teaching, there is not a Christian man who would even have that on his radar. Because we're taught in the New Testament that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're taught in the New Testament as men to not even have a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. Amen. We're, we're taught to treat women like sisters. That movement is big. That movement is big. All this to say, the Bible and the Quran, they're two very different books. And you can't be a devout Muslim and be soft on the Quran. As a Christian, you can't be a devout, sincere, faithfulness-seeking Christian and be soft on the scriptures. Which brings us then to our second point under wielding and yielding. Not only do we wield the word of the Lord, the Old and New Testaments, but we yield to them. We yield to the word of the Lord. Wielding and yielding are two wings of the same plane. After Joshua put this challenge, this is interesting. After Joshua put this challenge out to the people, and he said, all right, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're all in. We're all in. We're going for it. The people said, hey, we are too. We are. We're in. We're with you, Joshua. We are going to serve the Lord. Sincerity, faithfulness. We got it. So Joshua then steps back and go, my work is done. Mic drop. They all came forward for the altar call. This is good. Is that what happened? No, here's what happened. Take a look at this. I'm reading right out of Joshua 24. All the people responded favorably. They all came forward for the altar call. And Joshua says, you're not able to serve the Lord. That doesn't seem like you'd say, right? You're not able. He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, and he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And Jesus testifies to that same reality. If we would have kept reading in Matthew 5, a couple of verses later, we come to this. You, therefore, must be what? Perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. Show of hands. <laughs> How many of you fall short of perfection? What does it say? You must be perfect. Let's pack it up because we're done for. All right. I want to come back now then to that word I asked you to circle. What word did I ask you to circle? Requires. I struggled putting that word in print. I come from a Lutheran background. And one of the things I love about my Lutheran heritage is the emphasis on God's grace. And so it's really hard for a person with a Lutheran heritage to write the word requires. But is that an accurate word? Yes. If you're going to serve the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness, it requires us to wield and yield the word of God, which is something that we fail at miserably. 
especially if our standard is perfection, which is precisely why the gospel is such good news. Can I get an amen? It is such good news because we cannot hit that perfection, perfection standard. As Christians, we believe there was only one, only one who was perfect. And his sacrifice on our behalf makes it possible for us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not because we balance the scales on our own, but because Jesus did on our behalf. I would encourage you to write this down in your notes. Please write this down. Jesus provided more than a perfect example. More than a perfect example. The references that I put in your, in your notes there are worth checking out. We already looked at the Joshua 24. We already looked at the Matthew. They say that there is this standard that is impossibly high. But then comes the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21. In the unfolding revelation of Scripture, we discover that he who... He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. And the good news gets better. In the John 16 passage, we read that Jesus promised to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, to come and to empower us and to change us from within and to lead us and to guide us and to say to any man in war, no, you're not taking a woman as a spoil of war. No. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the good news doesn't even end there. Ephesians 4, the Ephesians 4 passage. In that passage, we read about the church of Jesus Christ, his body on earth. God has intentionally distributed gifts that are to be used to create a community like the world has never seen. God hasn't simply handed us a book that sets an impossibly high standard and says, go do that. The Bible is this amazing revelation, living word of God that says what was necessary has been done. And I want to help. Here's my son. Here's my spirit. Here's my church. I'm for you, not against you. Yes, we're required to do things that we can't do on our own. But the good news is we're invited to pray like the prayer we taught you at the top of this series. I can't, but you can. So please do thank you. All right, after six weeks, we're now just minutes away from moving on to our next series. And before we do, I want to present you then with that choice that Joshua presented to the people. And let's start with a quick self-assessment. And it's quick now, but I want to encourage you to take some time on this. Because here's the deal. If we don't do this, like if we don't take this assessment, if we just say, I'll do it later, it won't happen, right? Here's a quick assessment. Whom do you serve? Spend some time today wrestling with that question. Whom do you serve? When it comes to wielding the Old and New Testaments, when are you doing that? Our actions are the true measure of what we believe. So when do you do that? And also, how much of your life are you yielding to the Word of God? If you were to put a percentage on that, if it were all possible, what percent do you think you're yielding to the Lord? As I've been reading the Quran, I've been reading about Islam, I'm realizing there is so much I don't know about that faith. And to to do it justice, I would need to have someone coming alongside me and helping me to understand the book, helping understand the faith more. And I would imagine, even as I ask questions like this, 
that we just put out before you. There's probably a whole lot of people here that would love some help with that, and we would love to help you. If we're t- here we are talking about, you know, are you engaged with the Word of God? If, if, you're, if you're not and you don't know where to start or you picked it up before and you're like, man, I, this book is just, I don't understand it. I was asking Brandon a little bit. I said, Brandon, would you be willing, if there was someone that would love to learn more about the Bible and how to read it, would you be open to talking with them? And he did what he's doing right now, big smile on his face. He's like, I would love to. If you'd like some individual coaching or direction, talk to Brandon. He'd love to get you started. We're also going to be offering more and more groups that, that will help with that too, where you can engage the Bible in groups. We're going to be rolling out something, um, the initial workings of it in 2017. We're going to call ECC Outfitters, where we're going to provide this framework that will equip people with knowledge and skills and experiences and gear and guides to help you grow in their faith. We would love to help. When we're asking questions like this and you don't know where to start, we would love to help. We would be honored to help you discover what does it mean to fear the Lord and to serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. And a journey in that direction starts with the first step. So here it is. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. When it comes to the scripture, what's your plan A? You can come up with a plan B. I'm on plan like AXQ476. You know, you, you, you're, start with a plan A, though. How are you going to engage the scriptures? And by God's grace, I will fully yield my life to the, to the Lord. You came here with something to fill in that blank with, right? We all have. We all got stuff. Today, what would be a step in that direction? What would be something that God would have you yield to him? I want to encourage you to take that step to say, God, today I surrender all. Today I surrender all. Some of you know Rick, our friend Rick. He comes to the 9 o'clock service. And uh, there was a couple weeks ago, we were, I was ending on a note of amazing grace, and Rick goes, there's a song like that, isn't there? I'm like, yes, there is. It's called Amazing Grace. And he was here today, and I said, Rick, do you know any songs that would help us surrender all? And he goes, there's a song called I Surrender All, and that's the song we're going to close with. And as we do, I want you to hear these words from Joshua. These words from Joshua. Here's how he closed it out. As he gave people that choice, he said, choose you this day who you will serve. Then he said this. He said, okay, because the people all said, we're in. He said this, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we're witnesses. And he said, then put away foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord we will serve and his voice we will obey. We surrender all. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And then he took what? A large stone. Large stones are really heavy and we're a portable church, right? So we don't have a stone, but what do we got? We got a bob. So Bob is our stone, all right? He is our witness. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone will be a witness against us, for it has heard the words of the Lord that he spoke to us, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Again, we don't have a stone, but we've got a Bob, and he's going to serve as a witness as we close with this anthem. And I want to encourage you to do more than that. You might want to write down today, if you sing this song with sincerity for the first time or the first time again, Put a milestone. Write it down. October 16th, 2016, I surrendered all. Would you please stand? Let me pray and let's let's close with this great hymn of faith. Father, thank you that you love us enough to, to, to 
require us to surrender all because anything that is not under your lordship is a bad move. Help us, Lord, to take this step of faith right here, right now, for the first time and the first time again, to surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.